We just finished up, we wrapped up um, this week our preseason timeout. And that was, um, you saw you know, the banners were all up for it and the prayer calendar sign-ups were all up. And we did that. And if you're, if you're visiting with us today, you say, what was preseason uh, timeout? Uh, our theme, our prayer theme for 2012 was timeout, a time to hear from God. And so in January, we took seven days to have a, to pray specifically for God just to speak to us. And we did a, some, between a seven and a 30-day Daniel fast, what people wanted to, whatever, how they wanted to participate. And then this time, right before the fall schedule begins, we did a preseason, kind of pre-going back to school, summer ending, getting back into the routine and the, and the rut kind of a deal. Um, preseason, let's make sure we're on track, that what we're hearing from God is keeping us going in the right direction. So we did a three-day time of fasting and prayer and different people participated in different ways, and we basically summed it up this way. It was three days for serious spiritual involvement. And we were primarily were asking ourselves one main question. We, we, I gave you prayer guides and some different direction, but I basically said, this is what it's all about. We're asking God, do we really, and I underline in my mind, really, do we really love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And it wasn't for us to tell somebody else about it. It was for us to ask God about it. And we looked at a guy um, like John Wesley that um, for years and years served God with incredible vigor, but yet concluded at one point in his life he didn't know God. After being a, a, um, a trained missionary and minister and on, um, on a staff at churches, after years he concluded, I don't even really know the Lord. I've never really had my sins forgiven. And so we said, you know, he came to a point where he understood he didn't love the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved religion. And then he came to the point recognizing, yes, I do. So we asked ourselves this last week, do we really love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And I hope you took opportunity to do that and to look at that. You say, well, I really didn't. I was busy. I was out of town. Well, guess what? You don't need to have my three-day thing to do that. Something we ought to be doing all the time in our lives. And so uh, still take time to ask God that question. If you're not real convinced that you know the answer, or if you think you're so convinced because you're just religious, ask God to show you, am I a John Wesley? Ben, as we did that, we wrapped it up on Wednesday night. And Wednesday night we came together here, and we had basically a sharing time. We ended with with a, a short time of prayer, and we said it wasn't really a prayer meeting. It was a time to share what was God saying to us. And so a group of us gathered on Wednesday night, and I got to tell you, I was so blessed as I sat and this, led this this group on on Wednesday night, um, talking to all the people who shared the incredible amount of blessings that they had received from the time of prayer and fasting. And here's what I found out: I have never had a person say ever. In all my years, 21 plus years of, of being a lead pastor in a church, I've never had people get uh, lead them in a time of, of prayer and fasting and have them say, you know what, that was really a waste of time. Never had a person say it. Every person always says, you know what, to some degree, there was really a great blessing that I received from a time of prayer and fasting. And the, kind of the resounding theme that we heard on Wednesday night was this, that God really does reward us as we prioritize seeking Him. That He really does. That it's just not a hope. That people were saying, you know what? I've been walking with God for a long time, but as I took time to just constantly think about Jesus, and every time one person said, every time my stomach growled, they went on a three-day fast, first time they'd ever done a three-day straight fast. Every time my stomach growled, I, asked, I, want, I reminded me of Jesus, and I thought about Jesus. And I said, by the end of three days, I was like, 
I couldn't, I couldn't believe how great it was to feel the constant presence of the Lord in my life. So the only change was I was actually thinking about Jesus instead of everything else. So God rewards us as we prioritize seeking him. And I found this in my life, that learning that one lesson is probably the greatest spiritual lesson you can ever learn. That if I prioritize him, he rewards me. And how does he reward us? He re- rewards us with, with the reality of his presence. We really know he's there. So over this, this last week, we asked ourselves, do I really love God with my whole life? And we found last week that that question arose from a text that we looked at from the Gospel of Mark. And we want to go back to that text today and start there with where we're going to go today. This is kind of the second installment on a sermon from last week. If you weren't here last week, um, go, on the po- go on the website, portviewchurch.com, go to the podcast, click on it. That's installment one. It won't cost you anything, and you'll be blessed because God will give you part one of this. And so let's go back to Mark chapter 12. And look at where we started this from, why we shot off in that direction of saying, do we really love God? And then say, what comes next? So chapter 12, starting in verse 28, it says this. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and Jesus was arguing with some some other leaders that were trying to tell him he was wrong about theology. And recognizing that he had answered, Jesus had answered well, he asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered, the foremost is this, or the first or most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now last Sunday when we read that, we found that those last nine words, you are not far from the kingdom of God, were the, were the nine words that caused John Wesley, who we focused on last week, the founder of the Methodist Church, to, to really look at his own life and realize that he had been really religious, but he really didn't have a genuine relationship with Christ that started from a sense that he was a guilty sinner and he needed to repent and cling to Jesus for salvation. He recognized he was not right with God. We found that he was like the scribe that Jesus was confronting here, or talking to here, not confronting, but discussing here, uh, theology with, that he said this to the man, you are not far from the kingdom of God, that you're, that you're close, but you're not quite there, that you, you want to be in the kingdom, but you're really not in the kingdom. And he, God used those words in John Wesley's life, and, and hopefully in the scribe's life, to get them to understand that I might not be there yet, but I need to get from here to there. And, and he understood, the scribe, and then John Wesley also understood, that they didn't really love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They loved religion, but they didn't really love God. But then we found there came this point where Wesley, and hopefully the scribe, came to the point where they stopped trusting in their religious involvements, they stopped trusting in their good works, because they realized that they were utterly lost. They realized that they were hopeless sinners without, without any possibility of rescuing themselves. And they one day clung to Jesus to rescue them. 
And they looked to Jesus as their only source for forgiveness and salvation. And they went from being near the kingdom of God to being in the kingdom of God. And Wesley wrote about it like this. He said, there came a day when I did trust in Christ. In Christ alone for salvation. And the assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. He came to the place, that moment where he really did realize that now I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. He came to that place where Jesus became the center of his life and everything else in life were little things that orbited around the outside of Christ. Nothing else is more important. Jesus was the core and everything, recreation, family, job, church, everything was something that orbited around. They were the periphery. And Jesus was the core. Everything else was secondary. And you know what? That changed everything in Wesley's life. We looked at it last week. It changed everything. From that point on, God used him to literally change the world. This is what history, you might you say, well, I'm not familiar with Wesley. That's why I gave you a, a big background last week so that you can look at the podcast this week if you didn't hear it to understand how important in history this man was. History says that, that literally God used him to change the world. And in fact, had Wesley not met Christ and really been converted, that, and then the revival that came after that, and then all the social implications that came because of the revival, historians said that England would probably have undergone something as severe as the French had gone through in the French Revolution, and England would have collapsed and had been in chaos, had there not been this man that responded to God named John Wesley, who then, through the in, his, God's influence on his and influence on others, literally had a sweeping revival that went across all of England, and then came to America and established the, the gospel in America, that had that not happened in Wesley's life, the, the England probably would have went through a revolution that would have destroyed it. But God used Wesley and those he influenced to save England and to bring revival to America. Had, he not, had God not used him in a dramatic way, we probably wouldn't be sitting in a church today. It's that dramatic. It was that influential in the history of the world. And the question that I look at that then is, how? How did that happen? How did that happen that that, that happened? Because God, as I look at the world today, I say, we need that again. One of the things I said to pray for this week was serious prayer for serious problems. Remember that? I asked you last Sunday. Pray this last week. Serious prayer for serious problems. And I said one of the serious problems is our nation is a disaster. And you know what? We need another, we need another great awakening. We need another revival. And so if God did it through Wesley once, I say to myself, how could that happen again? How did it happen for them so that it could happen for us? Isn't that a good question to ask? Right? Right. And so how is answered in the second part of Jesus' answer to the scribe in Mark chapter 12. How that happened and how it could happen for us is answered in the second part. Look at, look at verses 29 to 31 again. It says, And Jesus answered, The foremost is, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. In verse 31, the answer to the how. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The second great commandment that Jesus said sums up all the law is an outcome of the first. He says, because 
He really did love the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, and with all his strength. Then God will give him or us a passion for loving his neighbor. And God will empower him or us to be able to love his neighbor and to bring the gospel and the social assistance that arises through that as a result of loving your neighbor as yourself. You see, church, one of the greatest proofs that someone really does love God first is that he loves, that, 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 that his, God's love in them will compel them to love those around them. That his love in them, God's love in them, will compel them to serve those around them. That God's love in you will compel you to love your neighbor as, as yourself. And friends, this is what I want us to really get a hold of today. Because this can change our world. This can change your family. This can change your neighborhood. This can change this church. This can change this county. This can change the state. And this can change the, the, the nation. That if we, as individuals, and we, as a church, say that we really do love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all our strength, then we will reveal it by loving our neighbor as ourselves. That we will prove by our actions that Christ's love within us compels us to meet other people's needs. That Christ's love within us compels us to share the gospel. That Christ's love within us compels us to help the hurting. That if we really love God, then, friends, understand this, our community should know us, Portview Church, in a particular way. That... You should not be able to, in five years from now, if we get a hold of this, you should not be able to walk through this town and mention the name of the church without this being known. And this is my prayer. That in five years from today, when you walk in this community and you say Portview Church, they will say this about you and they'll say this about me. They are people who care. That that's what they'll understand about us. Because the love of Christ in us compels us to help those around us. They will look at this place and they will say they are people who care. A little over three years ago, um, during a, a church-wide question-and-answer session that happened the week before I was voted on to become the pastor of this church. Some of you were there. Some of you were there out in, that, in the, in the um, cafe area. We all sat around, and, and I was bombarded with a million questions. It was, it was interesting, to say the least. Any question, just being peppered at me, and I was answering them, and Pastor Pavia was standing next to me, and he's like, keep going, Mark, <laughs> and answering all these questions, and one of the people asked me in that day, they said, Mark, if you come here, what will your vision be, what will your mission be for Portview Church? And I gave them an answer that they did not like, because it wasn't an answer they wanted to hear. I said, well, I don't have a mission for Portview Church at this time, because I have not been here yet. I don't know what God's vision is and mission is for this church, but I said, but I know this, that if God wants me here, that God would make that vision and mission very clear to me and to you. That God would make it very clear to, to me as the pastor and the other leadership as the leaders and to all of us as a church family, and as we walked with him, that he would help us together to understand why he wanted us to do, how in particular he wanted us to exist. Well, you know what, friends? We've been walking with him now as a group for over three years um, in, this, in this attempt to say, God, you know, show us 
um, how in particular do you want us to define who you want us to be? That we understand there's some generic things about the church, but God as a church, in particular, how do you want to define us on how, who you want us to be? And this is what I can clearly say that, that we know God has been saying to us for a long time. Matter of fact, as the leadership of the church, we've been talking about it for years now, but have, we've been exposing it slowly, but not really saying it in these words, um, because we want it to become part of the heart before we just throw it out there as something that's not real. And we've come, we want to say it this way, that God's mission for us as Portview Church is very simple. This is what we are to be. We are simply to be Portview Church, people who care. Because everything flows out of that. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Everything flows out of the fact that if we are people who care, then we are people who love God first. Because if we love God first, then we'll love our neighbor as ourselves. And as we love our neighbor as ourselves, it'll affect our entire community. And then God will be able to do what God wants to do through us in this place. You see, I believe that those three words, people who care, need to define who we are and who are we becoming. We want everyone in this community to discover, because they don't know it yet. We need everybody in this community to discover that the people of this church care for them. We need everybody in this community to understand that the people of Port Jew Church care for this community because we are in love with the Lord of heaven and earth. And because we are in love with the Lord of heaven and earth, we are loving others as a natural outcome of our love for God. You see, because we love God, we love our neighbors. Because we love God, we are people who care. So friends, you know what? This is our mission, or maybe a better way to understand it is, you could say it this way, this is our motto. Our motto is this, Portview Church, people who care. And it is my prayer that in the coming months and years, this mission will grip every one of us. That we will constantly, this is why it's so simple and why we want to make it so succinct and so short and so memorizable. Is that the right way to say that? Because we will constantly be saying to ourselves, because I care, I fill in the blank. Because I care, I forgive. Because I care, I give. Because I care, I help. Because I care, I sacrifice. Because I care, I pray. Because I care, I serve. All these outflows that the scriptures say are more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices, more than religious observation or or, or duty, is that because I care, I do these things. Because I love God, I care. Because I care, these things happen. And the list goes on and on of how that can be applied. See, I want this to become the motto of our church existence. That we continually find ourselves being challenged to live this out. We continually change our behavior. You understand that? means that we've got to be different than we are today. I've got to be different than I am today. Every one of us needs to be different than we are today. We continually change our behavior because this motto is stuck in our mind. Maybe when you're tempted to be harsh with somebody, these words will cause you to change your actions. You'll say, because I care, I'll be kind instead of harsh. Or maybe when you see a need and are tempted to just ignore it and move along, that these words will cause you to stop and to help. Because you'll say, well, because I care, I can't ignore this need. You see, I believe God wants these three words to shape us and to propel us forward, being as a church, people who care. Now understand, friends, Jesus has a lot to say about this. Because you know what? This is his idea. 
This isn't our church idea. It's not a leadership idea. It's not something that arose out of a, out of a meeting. It's something that was birthed by the Spirit. This is His idea. Because it has always been His idea that loving others around us has been the mission for His church in a very real world that's full of needs. It's always been His plan for His church. What I want us to do today, I want us to look at one of the times that he communicated this message very clearly to his church, and he communicates it to us today, saying, this is how I want you to operate. As a matter of fact, he's going to say those exact words. This is how I want you to operate as you follow after me. And what we're going to read is interesting from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. You can turn there with me. What we're going to read here in the Gospel of Luke comes just after Jesus had taught about loving God first and loving your neighbor second. But it couldn't have been the same exact occurrence because it says that this time the scribe said, this is a summation of the law, to love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus said, you're right. But the, first, but the other time it said that Jesus said it and the scribe said, you are right. So it's one of these times where God is teaching about loving your neighbor as yourself. And he, and he taught this. So let's look at Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30 a section of scripture you're pretty familiar with. It says, And Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him, and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. And likewise a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he, and he bandaged up his wounds, and pouring oil and wine on them, he put him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will, re- I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him, then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Look how Jesus ended that. He said to those disciples, to the people who were being taught that day, and we know then he's saying it to us, that we should go and do the same as this Samaritan man in the story. Do the same thing that he did. That we should be like that man, people who care as he was a man who cared, and he proved it, not by saying, and this is, this is common in the world today, I care and I tell you I care, but he's saying, I care and I prove to you I care by the actions that I did. And so this man, Jesus said, go to be like this guy who didn't only speak a good thing, but he lived a good thing, that he did the good thing. And see, friends, I see from this story here a few things that define to us how this desire to be people who care that Jesus has for us to do, how that will be lived out in our lives. I want to point out two ways. The first is this. If we honestly are like this Samaritan man, if we honestly are people who care, if we honestly are being people who go and do the same as Jesus said we should do, that being that person, that it will cause us to do positive things. You see, because the Samaritan man cared, what did he say he did? He stopped what he was doing. He took time to help a stranger. In fact, he didn't take time just to help a stranger. He took time to help a man who was his enemy. Because the Jews and the Samaritans were at odds with each other. 
and it says he took time and he used his resources. He spent his own finances to care for that man. Now that whole thing, friends, is positive. He took time to do something positive. And you know what? If we will live our lives by asking, how can I show that I care? That we will have unlimited opportunities to express this. People say to me all the time, well, I don't have a ministry. I don't know how I'm supposed to minister. Friends, if you would just say, you'll put it on your t-shirt, I'm a person who care, and it will remind you every day that you are. You will walk through life and have a million opportunities between now and the time you die to do positive things to prove that you care. You know what? It'll cause you to stop and change a flat tire for the person on the side of the road. And you'll say, why? Because you're going to be in a hurry and you're going to be rushing and you're going to go, but you know what? Oh man, my stupid shirt says I care. I got to prove it. And you'll go and do something positive because it'll it'll cause you to change your behavior. You know what? It'll, It'll cause you to do things like cut your neighbor's lawn when you know they're too busy or they're away on vacation. It'll cause you to see somebody who's going through difficulty in their life and you're under stress and you're going to say, you know what, I ought to just make them a meal. I don't, it doesn't have to be by the church calling me up and saying, maybe, you know what, I need eight people to make meals today. You know somebody has a need and you call them on the phone and you say, do you need supper tonight? And they go, oh man, that'd be a lifesaver. It, it goes beyond being some kind of formalistic process of a church to being the heart and the soul of who you are and who I am. If we, if we have in our shirt people who care, we will do all kinds of positive things. The limit, there's limitless opportunities. It's, it's going to cause you to privately give someone money when they can't afford to pay their rent and you become aware of the need. It's because you're people who care. You know what? This affected me this week. This is something I've been mulling over for years. I'm going to tell you a couple of private, a couple of personal stories as we as we go through this this morning. But um, but because we've been talking as a leadership team about this for literally two years, defining people who care, and saying this is how we want our church to be known. This is how this needs to be the driving force behind everything we do. And it's amazing that when things happen now, that those three words pop into my head immediately. I believe it's the spirit of the Lord. And so this week. Not only did I get in a motorcycle crash on Monday, but I think I told you Thursday I'm driving home from a meeting here at church. It's 8 o'clock at night. I'm driving home. I come to a stop sign. I come to a complete stop. And as I stop, wham, somebody runs into the back of my car. And I go, if I might, go, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> Let's see. Josh, Josh left. Brett's got a broken foot. Suzanne's back. So I've been in a motorcycle accident. You know, and, and now I get rear-ended. And I'm not even moving. I'm just sitting there. I'm not even moving, you know. And, uh, and, and so I'm like, great. And so I, as I'm going to get out of the car, I got out of the car and I went like this. Look at her like, like this. And I heard it. I honestly heard it. Do you care? It changed everything. Do you care? And I walk up to the car and they put the window down. And it's a 16-year-old girl. Happens to be a girl in Brett's class. And there's five or six other kids in the car, and they're in the back seat hiding in a minivan. And they had just come from the football game. And first thing she says, I'm so sorry. Are you all right? I was looking down, and I ran right into the back of your car. And I said, I got that part. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Are you okay? Are you okay? And I said, hey, I'm okay. Second accident I've been in this week. And they're all freaked out, and I'm smiling. And I said... I care. I didn't say it out loud. But I I heard the voice of the Lord. You care. And I I walked up and I said, I said, well, your car looks fine. 
I looked at my car, and she says, your car wrecked? And I said, well, it was kind of dark out. And I said, well, best I can see, all, it's, you, know, all you did was take the paint off the bumper and kind of mess the bumper up a little bit. And I said, but I don't know if the, if the bumper supports are wrecked, if you compressed them or not. And fortunately, my foot wasn't on the brake real hard because I just kind of stopped, and I was letting my foot off to go. And so when she hit me, it also pushed me forward. And fortunately, no cars were coming in the intersection. But when it pushed me forward, it didn't did damage the back end of the car. It just snapped my head back. And, and, you know, that's why you have the little restraints behind your head. And that's why you wear helmets. Helmets and motorcycles. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I said, you know what? Just give me your name and give me, and I, I wrote her license number down, and I said, I'll go home and I'll get a flashlight and I'll crawl under the car and look, and if the bumper supports aren't wrecked, I said, I don't care about the, about the plastic cover on the outside. I don't care. You know, and, and uh, I said, no problem. And she's freaked. She's scared. I said, just kept telling her, it's okay. I'm fine. It's okay. What changed my entire ad- attitude that whole thing? Because I was having a kind of interesting week. <laughs> it could have been okay. it could have been very possible to get out and go. Are you kidding me? You know who else is going to try to kill me this week? You know I could have done that. Is somebody else going to try to kill me this week? I don't know. I got a target on me or what? But as soon as I heard the voice of the Lord say, "Do you care?" It changed everything. And I walked up to that car completely positively, and I just said, "You know what?" It's all right. And I looked underneath. There's nothing wrong. And I said, go home. If you want to tell your parents, you can, in case you get a phone call. But I'm not expecting to call your house. And you know what? Just understanding that you're supposed to be a person who cares changed everything about how I, how I reacted to the situation. You know, and the idea came from knowing that God's plan for my life is to show that I'm a person who cares. How, friends, will God want you to express this today? Anybody have a spouse who ever gets crabby? I do. I get crabby. I get crabby. All right? I'm, Suzanne is a spouse who gets crabby. I, Suzanne is a spouse who gets crabby. Right? Am I moving that in the right direction here? Okay. Just think of this. If you would think as if you had people who care written on your shirt, you walk in the house, your spouse is at a bad day, and something goes on, and that typical train of events that happens, where somebody says something a little harsh, and you snap back. But instead of snapping back, you don't snap back. And you know why you don't snap back? Because as soon as you're going to do it, people who care comes to your your mind and your heart. You go, I just think I'm not going to say anything right now. I just think I'm not going to respond that way right now. You know what will happen? Calm and peace. Friends, there's a million ways you can express this in a positive way. A million ways that you can be positive, unlimited possibilities on how you as a person who cares can, can do positive things in this world. Today, before the sun goes down, I bet you can have a dozen. Now, not only, I said there was two things I want to say, not only... Will being people who care cause you to do positive things, but will also keep you from doing negative things. And this is just as important. And they're not the same. You see, the priest and the Levite in Jesus' story did a negative thing. They left a beaten, dying man lying on the side of the road. They were supposed to be... Jesus does this on purpose, friends. He always uses as characters religious people because he knows we're the ones who read the book. He wants you and me to get something. That just because you go to church doesn't mean we got it all right. 
He always uses the top religious people, so every one of us could be guilty in the comparison. And he looks at, the, at, the, at these two religious leaders, and they find that they, they left this beaten man lying, dying on the side of the road. They ignored a need that was right in front of their eyes. But then he showed a Samaritan man, who was their enemy. And he shows that he did not ignore the need. He did not do the negative thing. Why? Because he cared. It was an, in, an integral part of his quality of character. And friends, understand that every single day you will be faced with doing things that although they may not be overt sin, they are not positive, rather they're negative. And remembering that we are people who care will keep you from doing the negative. So I want to give you another example from real life on how this works has worked in my life. And uh, you're going to say, I can't believe you really did that, Pastor Mark, but I really did it. I'm telling you up in front. A little while ago, because again, this has been on my on my mind, on my radar screen, people who care for years, trying to say, how do I live it out? How do I live it out so that I can, I can implement it and express it to our church family to give us a focused approach to what we're trying to do as a church family? And so, mulling it over in a couple, this is actually about a year ago now, maybe almost a year, nine months ago, something like that. I was sitting at my desk here at church, working on some stuff, and a car pulled in the parking lot. I didn't recognize the car, and then I got all windows around me, and, and the car pulled in the parking lot, and a guy gets out of the car, and as soon as he gets out of the car, I recognize him. He's a guy that years ago I led to Christ, many years ago. Now, brace yourselves for what I'm going to say. I don't like the guy. <laughs> he is an odd, difficult person. And Suzanne and I invested years of energy into this guy and at that point his girlfriend who became his fiance who then became his wife matter of fact i told him do not marry her you're making the biggest mistake of your life and so he, i see him getting out of his car i'm sitting in my office and guess what i did i grabbed my phone i started to hit the button to call the secretary and say i'm busy i'm not here say anything you have to do i don't want to talk to that guy and as I'm going to push the button, what did I hear? Ugh. People who care. I'm like, oh, but God, if he comes in my office, it's going to be two hours, and I'm going to have to listen to his ramblings. And God, I just know I don't really like the guy, and he's just a pain, you know, and he never listened to anything I said anyways. For all the years, he rejected everything, and now his life's a complete catastrophe, and if he would have just listened, his life wouldn't be a shambles. But people who care. And so I hung up the phone, and I didn't push the button, and my phone buzzed. <laughs> Pastor Mark, there's a man named so-and-so who's here to see you. Do you have time to see him? I said, oh, yes, I do. It'd be the joy of my life. I'm so excited and so happy to see him right now. So I stopped what I was doing, and he came in my office, and I'm, it took as long as I thought, two hours. And the first thing he told me is how he had been angry with me for eight years. I'm going, okay, I gave you a car. <laughs> I led you to the Lord. I led your wife to the Lord. Um, I performed your wedding, even though I told you you shouldn't get married. And he said, this is why. I never should have married her. And I said, I know. <laughs> I told you to not marry her. And we've had nothing but chaos for eight years. And da 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 And so finally he said, I need God to come here. I need to apologize to you. I've been wrong. I said, I receive it because you were. <laughs> you know. And uh, I didn't have a whole lot of patience, but I was very nice. I was very kind. And then I said to him, how can I help you now? 
And I helped Kim create a game plan on how we can try to rescue his faltering marriage that he never should have got into in the first place, but he did, and now he's got to fix it. And so I helped him try to put a game plan together, and he left, and he's hugging me, and he's telling me, I couldn't do it without you. And, and I'm thinking, I almost told you not to come to my office. And uh, he walked out the door, and this is the truth. I wa- he walked out the door, and I said, you know what? I feel really good right now. I feel really good right now because I proved that I care. And if I care, it's evidence that I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's easy to say we care, but do we prove we care? And you know what, friends? These, these things aren't things that are superstar kind of things. I'm showing you the real-life human, human side of me because you have the real-life human side of you, that you want to do the exact same thing. You want to you tell your wife, I'm not there. Honey, so-and-so's on the phone. Oh, crunch, crunch, lost connection. You've done it. So have I. You know you've done it. Go through a tunnel. Close the phone. You've done the same thing. If we conclude that we are people who care, it'll change everything about us. If we understand that the natural, that God's, the Holy Spirit natural outflow of loving God with all your heart, so with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is to love our neighbor as ourself, that that is expressed in caring for people. I promise you in five years you can't walk through this town and at State Portview Church without somebody saying, man, those people care. So as we begin to do things that we tangibly prove how we care to the community as a corporate church, but as you do it as an individual, it'll transform everything. And you know what? We'll say, I got evidence. Evidence that I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now remember, doing religious stuff doesn't make you right with God. But if you're right with God, you will have service that will flow out of it. So listen, church, God has us on a mission to prove by our actions that we really are people who care because this can change everything. It will cause us to approach a visitor on Sunday morning when you say, but I'm I'm so used to just sitting with my six little partners. It's going to cause you to go up to somebody that you don't usually know and you say, well, I can't, Pastor Mark, because I'm shy. Well, guess what? Caring is stronger than shy. And you'll walk up to them and you're going to say, hey, my name is Mark. Where are you from? It's always the first thing I ask. You live around here? Just start the conversation. I don't think I recognize you. And after you talk for a little while, you're going to go, are you here alone? And they go, yeah, I am. Would you like to sit with me? Sure, I'd like to sit with you. You know why you do those things? Because you're people who care. This will cause you to not lash out at a thoughtless neighbor who plays his music too loud. We had one of those real recently. They moved every Tuesday. ACDC and Led Zeppelin right outside of our window with his poker game, 10 feet out of our bedroom window every Tuesday for two years. They called the police on my children for shooting airsoft guns. We didn't call the police on them for their music and never said anything because we overtly said, we want to show them we care. You know what? It causes you not to lash out in harshness when they play their music too loud or they park on your lawn and you go it's not that big of a deal because you realize that people matter more than stuff because you care because we love God first we'll care for what he cares for passionately and he cares for all those who are our neighbors and so we will care for them because he gives us his love so Portview Church 
You know who God has us to be? People who care. And intentionally not saying a church who cares, because then you can say it's a church's job, but it's people who care because we're a church made up of people. And it means that you've got to care and I've got to care. So let's see this become a reality here at our church and let's be amazed at how those three words change our lives because we remember them all the time. And I promise you this, as it becomes part of your ingrained into you, the Holy Spirit instantly reminds you of it over and over. You go, oh, I just wanted to say I'm not available. But guess what? God wants you to be available because he's more concerned about people than he is with you getting your work done. He's more concerned about people than the bumper having scratches on it. He's more concerned about people because he died for people. And as we're people who care, it's going to cause us to do something. So friends, because you care, you fill in the blank. Because I care, I. This is what I do. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank today. It's God's plan. Would you stand with me this morning? Let's stand, or let's, let's pray together today. Father, I thank you for your word that is a real challenge to us. Your word shows us that, that you, you're the one who gave the illustration. You, you said to love you first and love our neighbor, our neighbor as ourself, and then you went and you gave an illustration of it, of this Samaritan man who did the positive and didn't do the negative, And then you are the one who said, you looked at disciples in the eyes and said, now you go and do the same. And God, we know from how your word is given to us that your eyes are now looking at us because we say we're your disciples and you're looking at me and you're looking at every person in this place and you're saying, now you go and do the same. Be people who care. And so Father, help that become ingrained in our hearts. Help that become just the, the, the way that we think about whatever we do. We ask ourselves, does that really say I care when I do this or that? Or if I really drive by that person in need, do I really care? Because God, I know that when we stop and we do whatever that thing might be, that you're going to give a divine opportunity to then minister to people and just maybe bring them into your kingdom. Because they're going to be just like that scribe and they're going to be just like John Wesley that they are close to the kingdom but not there yet. And you've left us on this earth to help people get into the kingdom. And so Father, thank you for that high and holy calling. And I pray now, God, for your anointing and your blessing to rest upon every person in this church family. That God, you have hand-selected them, called them by name, brought them into this church family so that as we individually care for the world around us and corporately care for the world around us that God you would transform this community one person at a time so God I pray that every one of us would go with a sense of divine destiny today knowing that as we walk out of here there's going to be an opportunity in the first 10 minutes we walk out to show we care help us to own that because it's your word you said go and do the same So God, right now, we own it. We're going to go and do the same.